Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your unmerited mercies. We do not take those lightly, Father God, as we've been reminded this morning. And Lord, Father God, we, thank, we dedicate this morning to you. Give us years to hear what your spirit has to say in your mighty name. I want to apologize ahead because I've um, been battling an illness for the last three weeks. Um, illness that affects half the population. It's called man flu. And <laughs> all, all the men, uh, yep, you know what I'm feeling. And so it's been three weeks and I'm still feeling short of breath. So excuse me if I need to uh, take a break here and now and then. There's no vaccine for, there's a vaccine for the flu, but not the man flu. Right, so we've got to sort that out. Okay, our scripture today is, comes from Romans 12, verse 1 to 2. If we have that on the slide, I'd like for us to read that together. Right. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform, that's part two. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we go back to verse one. When Paul or anyone starts with the word therefore, it, it indicates that there must be a before. So for us to understand what's going on with Romans 12, we need to have a, take a moment to just understand context here. So in the first 11 chapters of Romans, if I can summarize that in one word, it's the word grace. It is grace. It is grace. It is grace. That we have all fallen short of God's standards in this world. But through his grace, by giving his son Jesus to die on the cross for us, undeservingly so, Unmerited. I didn't deserve his grace. You didn't deserve his grace. But with Jesus dying on the cross, he extended that grace to us. Because that, that is his grace. That is his mercy. And that is the quick summary of, of Romans 1 to 11. And with light of that, that's why we now have Paul saying here, therefore. And he says, therefore, I urge you. And we're going to break this down over the next 25 minutes or so. So therefore, I urge you. In other untranslations, the word urge you is the word beseech, right? And what does that mean? The way I can describe it to you is I play basketball, all right? And the many times that when we're down to the last quarter, there's two minutes left, the scores are tied. The coach comes to you and goes, come on, guys, two minutes to go. Give it all you got, okay? I urge you, give it all you got. Push hard, because you've worked hard the whole season. This is the grand final game. Give it all you've got. And that's what Paul is saying here. I urge you, brothers and sisters, right? in light of this mercy that God's given you, this is what we need to do, okay? All right, and what does it say then? To offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. What does it mean by our bodies? Is it meaning 
the flesh and bone that we have here, the skin that covers us? No, if it does, I think I'd fail because my BMI is heading in the wrong direction. My belly is adhering to the laws of gravity. So God's, and Paul here is not describing our physical appearance, our physical bodies, all right? Jesus himself was not a remarkable person. Isaiah 53 tells us, he grew up before him like a tender shoot. And like a root of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us of him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. So Paul is not asking us to be the Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay. All right. What's he telling us then? Our bodies. It's our everyday life. It's who you are. It's who I am. It's who I am when I wake up in the morning. It's who I am in the breakfast table with my family. It's who I am when I go to work, when I interact with my colleagues. It's who I am when I'm alone. It's who I am when I'm with my spouse. It's who I am when I, when I put my kids to bed. Okay? And when they're asking you when, you're at, when you're, it's 9 p.m., they should be in bed. All right? That's your whole body. That's what God is asking here. Okay? Your whole bodies, your everyday life. And Jesus relates to this when he says, if your hand causes you to sin, what does it tell you to do? Cut it off. If your hand is causing you to sin, if this hand is causing violence, cut it off. If your eye is causing you to sin, what does it tell you to do? Pluck it out. All right. If you're watching something and it's causing you to sin, get rid of it. So this is what Jesus is referring to in those scriptures. And this is what Paul is referring to. Our everyday lives, our entire bodies, not the flesh and bone, but who you are. Okay. So Mikhail, continue on. So he then says, give your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And we ha- we Michelle mentioned the word sacrifice today. And this is Paul giving us an Old Testament language here of sacrifice. In the Old Testament, you had to go and get a calf or get a lamb. Or if you could afford it, just a dove, right? And you go to the priest, and he'd sacrifice it, he'd kill it on the altar to atone for your sins. Always an act of worship. But we're thankful that we don't have to do that now. And I don't have to go on Saturday to get a calf and bring it here and for Leo to slay it. We'd be having a lot of barbecue. But Hebrews 10.10 says, We've all been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Once and for all. He did it. It's done. We don't have to do the physical sacrifice anymore. But what's Paul saying here as living sacrifice? Think about what we talked about in your bodies, your everyday life. What Paul is saying here, bring that as your living sacrifice to me. Every day. Every day. And the story, when I think of sacrifice in the Old Testament, I think of Abraham and Isaac. Isaac was the chosen promise, the chosen one, the promise of Abraham's generation. All right? He was the beloved And so one day, God tells Abraham, go and sacrifice Isaac. So Abraham prepares the bags, takes Isaac with him, 
takes him up to the mount. Isaac asks, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide. And so he's laying Isaac on the altar and is about to strike the dagger down. But what happens? We know the story. God sends a ram, intervenes, and they sacrifice the ram. But let's just think about this for a little moment. If God had not intervened, Isaac would have been a dead sacrifice. Abraham would have been a living sacrifice. Do you see that? Giving up his most beloved possession, his most beloved treasure. Okay? And in our lives, we have things that we hold on so dearly that we cannot give as a living sacrifice. And if that thing does not go up as a sacrifice to the Lord, it becomes an idol. And it might not be a possession. It might be unforgiveness. It might be grief. It might be anxiety. Whatever that is, Paul is telling you, whatever it is, your whole body, give it as a living sacrifice. It's why Philippians 1, Paul can say, for me to live is Christ, to die is to his gain. A living sacrifice. So it tells us to offer your whole bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. The word holiness relates to being pure, being spotless, as Cheryl said today. Right? If you, in the Old Testament, if you wanted to present a, a special offering, you'd get a spotless lamb, one that had no blemish, and that was a holy offering. And I'll give you an example. When I think about the word holiness, author Sergio Scataglini says this, if you're thirsty, and you ask me for a drink of water, and I give you a glass of water. But before you drink it, and I say, oh, wait, there's 1% sewage in there. Would you still drink it? And that's what God wants. 99% holiness is not enough. It's 100% holiness. A living sacrifice daily, not a part-time sacrifice. It's a living sacrifice of your bodies, of your minds, of everything that you are. And as Paul says here, when you offer that as your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, what does that become? It becomes your true worship. We worship on a Sunday like we have just now. We worship at home. A true worship is living daily, giving your bodies, giving your minds, giving who you are as a sacrifice to the Lord. Are you with me so far? Okay. Thankfully, Paul tells us something, we, what we can do to live as living sacrifices. In verse 2, he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. The word conform simply just means do not follow. Do not run with what the world says. Now, in, in, in Romans here, the word world that Paul uses is not the word cosmos as we think of as the world or the universe we do not follow the patterns of the weather or gravity that's not what paul is saying paul is using the word aeon which means the word age so when you look about that it's the pattern of this age which in, which we then interpret as what are the thinkings of this age 
What are the ideas of this age? What are the religions of this age? What are the behaviors? What are the rituals? What does, what does this age follow? Okay? And if you think about all the things that the secular world believes about this age, it can all be wrapped up under one word. And that is self. Okay. And the origins of this focus on self started in, in Genesis 3. And in Genesis 3, when, when the first temptation came in, uh, Satan approached Eve. All right, said, did God really tell you that you cannot eat of that fruit? Okay, he starts his deception. And Eve goes, no, we can't. We're going to die if we do that, right? She had the right answer. And Satan then goes, you won't die. God knows your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So you can see the deception that, God, that the Satan is playing here. He shifts the focus away from God and towards Eve hinting at the selfish nature. And so Eve takes the fruit, gives it to Adam, and they both take the fruit. And what happens next? They run and hide. Okay? And God walks in the garden looking for them. He says, where are you? And Adam says, oh, we were hiding because we were ashamed of our nakedness. There's nothing that makes you more self-aware than when you are naked. And then God then says, how did you know you were naked? So you, you can see that suddenly they were becoming aware of themselves. So Satan has already planted that thought into their mind. I've got two children, and especially when they're two or three years old, they don't care about themselves. They run around naked in the house. All right? Okay? You can tell. Their nakedness is not an issue to them. Okay? And then Adam then goes and tries to preserve himself by pointing the finger and blaming Eve for the trouble. So the pattern of this world is a pattern of self. The Godhead is God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the pattern of the self is me, myself, and I. Romans 1, let's see what it says here. Romans 1, 21 to 23. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts became dark. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Author John Piper says that, well, the image in the mirror is the mortal image we worship the most. Okay? It's become about ourselves. Our minds default to ourselves. What do we want for breakfast? What do we want in this life? It's the pattern of this age. And as Christians, we also walk on dangerous territory when we start looking to God for what we can get rather than what we can give Him. Remember, it is his grace and his mercy. We don't deserve it. But we need to offer our bodies as living sacrifices for him, not what we can get out of him, what we can offer him. 
I spent a few minutes on Amazon this week preparing for this, looking up what are some of the uh, best-selling books on the Christian section and on the secular section. All right? So I went to the Christian living section and I went to the secular self-help category. And I was kind of surprised by what some of the titles were. And I'll call out some of these titles and I'll give you a pop quiz. Christian or secular? Number one. Cleaning up your mental mess. Five simple, scientifically proven steps to reduce anxiety, stress, and toxic thinking. Christian or secular? Christian. Number eight. Sorry, number two. Self-compassion, the proven power of being kind to yourself. Secular. Next one. You are going to make it. 50 morning and evening devotions to unrush your mind, uncomplicate your heart, and experience healing today. Christian. Next one. When you're ready, this is how you heal. Secular. Next one. This... 100 devotions to know God is holding you close. Christian. The title, God, gives it away. Right. Okay. A couple more. Set boundaries. Find peace. A guide to reclaiming yourself. Secular. All right. We're getting good. Second last one. The lives we actually have. 100 blessings for imperfect days. Secular. And this one was my favorite. <clears throat> Ready? Breath as prayer. Breath as prayer. Calm your anxiety, focus your mind, and renew your soul using your breath. That was a Christian book. Okay? Can you see how the lines are getting blurred here in our teachings? Okay? If you have not renewed your mind... You'd simply go to the bookshop and go, oh, wow, I can use my breath to get answers. Okay? And that's what Paul was writing here in Romans 1 and 2, 12, 1 and 2. Okay? Let's see how, what Jesus has to say about self-preservation. Okay? Matthew 16. Have we got it up there? Okay. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to live, save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Just a few, chap few verses before that, Jesus had said to Peter, On this rock I will build my church. And then a few moments later, he's rebuking Peter. So did Peter change within a few verses? No, Satan had entered Peter's mind at that very moment, causing Peter to say, hey, Lord, you don't need to die. Preserve yourself, okay? Self-preservation. And Jesus turned to Peter 
He didn't tell Peter, get behind me, Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but human concerns. Okay. This was Satan's last roll of the dice right, in an attempt to stop what was about to come. Okay. As John says, he must increase and I must decrease. All right. And that's the danger of, of what's happening in this pattern of this age is that the whole mindset of self has infiltrated us, even in Christian circles. That is about me, myself, and I. What can I get out of this? Not what can I give him. Okay? It's my body. It's my choice. Right? I can be what I want to be tomorrow. If I feel like being a horse, I'll be a horse. Okay? All right? So, but unfortunately, that's what's infiltrated. You can tell it by the, the, the books and the titles that I've read out. Okay? All right. The lines are getting blurred. And we start to think that, like, what's, like Satan says, you can become like God if you have that fruit. Okay? And the danger is when we start thinking of selves as being on equal with him. And we're not. God is sovereign. He decides whether I take my next breath or not. He decides whether I can walk through this challenge in my life or not. It is up to him. It's not up to us. What's the worst thing that can happen when you die? You go to heaven. <laughs> All right? And when you die, the world just keeps spinning like it was spinning before you and I were here. Okay? God is sovereign. So Paul says to be a living sacrifice. And it's hard to be a living sacrifice when you're too busy trying to preserve yourself. But Paul continues, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transform here is the Greek word metamorpho, and where we get the word metamorphosis. And the other time when it's used in the Bible was the following in Matthew 17 when Jesus transfigured on the mount. And Peter, James, and John were there and they saw him, his face shining bright, brilliance, and his clothes were shining so brightly. And that was really, his outward appearance was really reflective of what was inside of him. Okay. And so when Paul uses this word in Romans, he's using the same language here. He's saying, be transformed from the inside outside through the renewal of your mind okay the ruining of your mind has anyone heard of author lee strobel case for christ okay i'll read out a short testimony by him lee was an avowed atheist convinced that people created god because they were afraid of death and his hedonistic lifestyle revealed no spiritual inclinations whatsoever when his wife became a Christian, Strobel was not impressed, but he figured that he had nothing to lose in following his wife to church one Sunday. After listening to the preacher's sermon, he left with a lot on his mind, and he thought to himself, if this stuff is true, it's going to have a big implication in my life. He was a journalist, so he used his journalistic skills to study the evidence of Jesus' resurrection. After two years, he realized that, and I quote, it would take more faith for me to remain an atheist than to become a Christian, based on all the evidence that he found 
He studied. He used his mind. He investigated. He sought scriptures that led him to Christ. He didn't just go on his feelings or his emotions. He, gave, he used the mind that God gave him. And in Acts 17, we also read in verse 11 that the Berean Jews were more of noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness, examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Okay? Even if Paul, who wrote majority of the New Testament, these group of Jews took what he said, studied according to all scriptures, and said, is what he's saying true? They did not just accept what he said was true. They studied it. They used their, they used their, used their mind. As Jesus said, to take new wine, you're going to have to have new wineskins. You put the new wine in the old wineskins, they'll split. So Paul is saying here, renew your minds. Use what God has given you. Analyze, critique, think about the things that you're reading. Think about what we worship. Think about the lyrics. Think about what we hear on the internet. And how do we do this? Firstly, renew our minds by the Holy Spirit. Titus 3.5 says, where Paul says he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and by renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who is the counselor, the helper, the one who's going to teach you, guide you through this. Okay. Secondly, read the scriptures. Everything we have is in here. The answers are in here. And we think that we've read it, we've read it cover to cover, and we've gotten all we can. But that only just scratches the surface of what this book can give us. Okay. Amazon is great for resources and other things, but in the end of the day, this is all we need. Okay. Read the scripture. Use your mind. Number three, pray biblically. Use your scriptures to pray through the word. Ask the Lord, what are you saying in the scripture? Even what I'm saying this morning, go home, study it. Read it for yourself. Question, pray through it, analyze it. And lastly, to renew your mind, seek wise counsel. Proverbs 12 says, The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Seek counsel of people who renew their mind, read the scriptures, pray biblically. Okay. And you still find you haven't renewed your mind, repeat again. And then lastly, in Romans 12 too, just test and prove what God's perfect will is. Well, I think we all want the will of the Father, don't we? But sometimes our will tends to get ahead of it. But Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. Take this cup away from me, Lord, but not my will. Your will be done. As living sacrifices, that's what he asks of us. For the unmerited mercy and grace that he gave us, all we can do is just give our daily lives as sacrifice to him.
as we try and wrap up now. Ask maybe we could stand. Jesus says in, in John 16, in this life you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. He doesn't say that I'm going to remove the trouble from you or stop it in its tracks. And what does trouble look like for you today? Is it fear? Is it a loss of a job? Is it your mortgage? Is it something with your marriage? Is it your children? Is it sickness? Is it poverty? What is that trouble? Jesus says that I take heart. He has overcome the world. And so Hope Center, Northern Hills, this is my prayer for us. And I beseech you, Hope Center, Northern Hills, in view of God's mercy and grace that we do not deserve, that we offer our bodies as living sacrifices to you. Not at 25%, not at 75%, not at 99%, but may be pleasing and holy to you, Father. And when we do that, Lord, this will be our true worship. And we deny ourselves and we take up the cross and we follow you. We don't follow the patterns of this age. Because when we said yes to you, it's effectively a death sentence for ourselves. So we don't conform to the patterns of this age, the thinking of this age. But be transformed, changed from the inside out by the renewing of your mind. And when you've done that, then you can test and prove what God's will is. That it is good and pleasing and perfect that he will see you through whatever it is you're going through. That we just look to him. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. He's written it out. Every day in your, book, in your lives have been written out for you. Offer him as a living sacrifice. Let's worship him this morning as only he deserves.